Well, good evening, everybody. If you have a Bible, find Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, that's where we're going to be. We're going to start in verse 1 tonight. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. While you're turning there, I'll give you a quick summary of what we've talked about so far. Ephesians is written by Paul, who is very important to the early church. He wrote it to the churches in and around Ephesus that included both Jews and Greek in their congregation. He started off with a song of praise to God and then moved into a prayer for the people. Then he talked about who you were before grace and who you are having experienced grace. And then last week he talked about the former state of the Gentiles, and we are all Gentiles, and how Jesus made peace for his people and is building them together. Again, the first half of the book of Ephesians is all about the gospel. The second half is all about how the gospel affects how we live our lives. So Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, on behalf of you Gentiles, you have heard, haven't you, about the administration of God's grace that he gave to me for you. The mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have briefly written above. By reading, by reading this, you are able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. This was not made known to people in other generations, as it is now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The Gentiles are co-heirs, members of the same body, and partners in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I was made a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the working of his power. This grace was given to me, the least of all the saints, to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of Christ and to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. This is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. This is according to his eternal purpose accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him we have boldness and confidence, confident access through faith in him. So then I ask you not to be discouraged over my afflictions on your behalf, for they are your glory. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much that you love us enough to give us your words. And we know that if we understand anything in your word, it is because your spirit has worked in us. So enlighten us in these moments. Help us to concentrate. Teach us what it means to be your people and to live for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever gotten in trouble for something that was not your fault. Has that ever happened to anyone? Yeah. When it was actually someone else who did it or caused it, but then all the blame fell on you. Now, what are the feelings that you have when this happens? Anybody? Feelings whenever you get in trouble for something that's not you. What's that? Unfair. Unfair? Yeah, absolutely. Anger. Anger. Oh, yeah. Injustice, maybe? Frustration. Frustration, yeah. Discouragement. 
Now, these are all natural feelings. Now, have you ever been on the opposite side of that, where you did something and somebody else got in trouble for it? Has that ever happened to you? What are the feelings you have in that case? <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Maybe a little bit of guilt. Yeah. Maybe that feeling like, oh man, I got away with it. A lot of us feel bad in those instances, right? Now that was kind of what happened to Paul and these people. You see, Paul came out and shared the gospel that the Gentiles were welcomed into the family of God. It was not just for the Jews. Well, the Jews who did not believe in Jesus did not appreciate his message. They took offense to it, so they threw him in jail. And then he is waiting his Supreme Court hearing, so to speak. And he is writing this letter knowing that these Gentile Ephesians are feeling kind of bad because they feel like he is... They are the reason that he is in jail, that it's actually their fault. But Paul, who is a former pastor to these people, who is kind of like a grandfather figure to them, does not waste this moment, this hurt, this discouragement. Instead, he uses it to teach them about his ministry. And as we read through this, we're going to learn about his ministry and also learn about our own ministry, our personal ministries. So as we study this today, I hope that we can learn three descriptions of our ministry. Let's start. Number one, ministry is stewardship. Look at verse two with me. You have heard, haven't you, about the administration of God's grace that he gave, gave to me for you. That word administration. Maybe your translation uses a different word. Maybe it says stewardship. Or maybe it says dispensation. But what the word means is trust. Something that has been entrusted to somebody else. What is something that you have trusted another person with? What is something you have trusted another person with? Man, y'all keep all of your money at your house? That's amazing. Email address, is that what you said? Pin number. Pin number. Yeah. Our kids? Our kids, yeah. We take them to school. Take them to grandma. Take them to grandma, yeah. For your romantics in here, maybe you entrusted your heart to somebody else. I think all of us probably uh, entrust our money at a bank, Right? There are several things that we trust other people with, but when we look at what Paul is saying here, he is saying that we have been trusted with something, and that something is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, trust is sacred, isn't it? Trust is a privilege. So I want to ask you something. Have you ever thought about this? Why did the gospel come to you? Why did the gospel come to you? This is not a trick question, by the way. Why did the, why did the gospel come to you? You mean come to us? Personally. Yes, yes. Well, for me, it was because I came from a very dysfunctional home and God was all I had. Yeah, so that you could experience... 
Yeah, so that you could experience redemption. Mm, yeah. Yeah. So that you would experience unconditional love. Simply stated it came by God's grace. Came by God's grace. Yeah. So, yeah. So that you would experience salvation. So that you would be connected to your creator. So that you would know truth in this world. All of that's true, right? But all of that is very personal as well. There is another reason that the gospel came to you, so that you would take it to somebody else, right? Because you are entrusted with the gospel. It has been given you, to you, so you are supposed to manage it. You are supposed to stewardship by sharing it with other people. We have the only hope for a broken world. Do you realize that? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, 16, Woe is me if I don't share the gospel with others. And he says in another place, how will anyone believe if they don't hear? How will they be saved if they don't hear the gospel? And how are they ever going to hear if nobody tells them? And who's going to tell them if it's not you? You have been entrusted with the gospel so that you would share it with other people. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God has placed you in that neighborhood or that place of work, or in your group of friends, or at your school, or on your team? Do you believe God has placed you there so that you would manage the gospel, you would steward the gospel, you would share the gospel with those people, and they would know Jesus? Because ministry is stewardship. Look at verse 3 with me. The mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have briefly written above. By reading this, you are able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. This was not made known to people in other generations, as it is now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The Gentiles are co-heirs, members of the same body, and partners in the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. So Paul here is describing his personal ministry, right? He understood the mystery of the gospel, that is, that the Gentiles were now welcomed into the family of God. A mystery is something that was partially or wholly hidden that is now revealed. So we looked at Genesis, uh, I think it was chapter 12 before, the, the promise, and Genesis 17, the promise given to Abraham, the covenant to Abraham, that he would be a blessing to all the nations, that his offspring would be a blessing. Well, how? That was the question that was looming in the Old Testament. How are the Jews a blessing to all the nations? When we get to the New Testament, we understand Jesus was a Jew. Salvation came through a Jew so that the Gentiles would also experience it. That's Paul's ministry, was to explain that this is the truth of the gospel. But here's the thing. If you just read that, it's not a mystery to you anymore, is it? It's not hidden. He has made it plain that people from all different backgrounds are called to believe in Christ and join the family of God. And since you have believed the gospel, you are now a steward of it. It's not a choice. Right? You can't decide if you are going to be a steward of the gospel or not. It is already given to you by God. The question is, are you going to be a good steward of the gospel or not? 
So think about our students in here right now who are in school. They are students, right? They don't have a choice. The government has said that they are students. So they, don't, they can't choose tomorrow if they're going to be a student or not. But what they can choose is if they're going to be a good student. So you can choose to study, to do your homework, to do the projects, to listen in class. Or you can choose not to do that. You can choose to be a good student or not. In the same way, we don't have a choice of being stewards of the gospel. We have a choice to be either a good steward or not a good steward of the gospel. Are you going to be someone who shares that with other people, invites them to believe in Christ? Or are you going to be someone who keeps it to yourself against the will of the Father? Ministry is stewardship. Number two, ministry is service. Look at verse seven with me. I was made a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the working of his power. When we think of servants in our culture, what comes to mind? What kind of professions come to mind? Waiters? Yeah, yeah. Anybody else? Housekeepers? Mm hmm. Nurses? Mailman? Preachers? Is that what you said? Oh, okay. Okay, I was just, yeah, sorry. Freudian slip, I guess. Oh, preach, thank you for affirming me. <laughs> yeah, these are some of the things that when we look around, you know, I think of a butler maybe, even though, do butlers still exist? I don't, anyway, that, that's what we connect with being a servant in our culture. And in fact, our economy, our local economy is heavily impacted by the service industry. But when we look at the Bible, it tells us something different about service. Nobody can force you to be a waiter, right? Not in our culture. You have a decision if you're going to do that or if you're not going to do that. You voluntarily place yourself in a place to serve others. That's the feeling of this word here, servant. It's when you decide to be someone who is going to serve others. Paul says that he was made a servant by the gift of God's grace. That seems strange right? Do we normally put becoming a servant and a gift together? No, those are two things that normally, especially in our culture, don't go together. So think last time that you were in a cafeteria and the lunch lady gave you your food. Did she say to you afterwards, hey, thank you so much for this opportunity to serve you. Thank you for your grace to me and letting me do that. (laughs) No, It never happens because those two things don't usually go together, not in our culture and really not in any culture. But let's see what Christianity says. Let's see what the Bible teaches us about that. See, for the Christian, it's not that we have to serve. It's that we get to serve, right? That should be our attitude. And why would we have this attitude? Because it's not that Jesus had to die for us. It's that Jesus chose to die for us. And when we have a chance to serve others in our personal ministry, what we are doing is we are reflecting the truth that Jesus came to die for us of his own will, that he was not forced to do it. And if we understand that truth of the gospel, then we will serve others and it will be our joy. 
Because we recognize that we have been given this gift by Jesus and we want to extend it to others that, he, that they may know Jesus as well. But it's not that we are just called to do this. What he says here in verse 7 again, it was given, me, given to me by the working of his power. See, we serve others in our ministry, not just out of our own determination, our own grit. What Paul says is that it is by God's power. Now, remember what he said earlier in this book? He said that the power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that lives in us. It is the power of the Holy Spirit so that we may continue in holiness, that we may do the work of God here and now. So it's not that God just pushes us out there and says, all right, here's your mission, good luck. It is that he gives us the very desire and the very power to do that mission, to carry it out by the power of the Holy Spirit. So if I asked you to tomorrow get up and compete in a race against the fastest athletes in Florida, you may say, Sean, I'm having a heart attack just thinking about it. But if I said, look, I want you to compete against them, and I've also given you a super serum that will make you literally the fastest person to ever live by far, and it won't, it won't have any side effects against your body, would that change things? Would you be willing to do it? We have been given the power of the Holy Spirit living in us, the very power that raised Jesus from the dead so that we would serve others, so that we would serve our God by carrying out his mission. Look at verse 8 with me. This grace was given to me, the least of all the saints, to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of Christ and to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. This is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. So Paul calls himself the least of all saints. Quick question for you. How many books of the Bible did you personally write? Does Max <laughs> no, no. Because Paul wrote 13 books of the Bible. You know, that's what he says, though, that I am the least of all saints. That's like Tom Brady coming out and saying, I am the least of all quarterbacks. Well, your record would beg to differ. Tom Brady just won the Super Bowl, if you're not aware. See, Paul calls himself the least of all saints. How is that possible? Of all the kingdom impact that he had, how can he still view himself as the least of all apostles? Here's why. Because he has a proper view of who he is apart from the grace of God. He knows what he is if God did not save him. Do you really think you were that bad before Jesus saved you? I mean, really, can you sing with the hymn writer that amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me? Or do you, do you see yourself as someone who really wasn't that bad 
Because if we see ourselves as we are apart from the grace of God, and then we see ourselves as who we are in the grace of God, it will be our pleasure to serve him and serve people because we have humility. Ministry is service. In verse 9, Paul describes his ministry, the, the ministry that he has of sharing the gospel. So verse 9, look at it again. To shed light for all about the administration of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. His ministry was to shed light for all. Now maybe when he said that, maybe by all he meant share with his friends. Maybe by all he meant share with his family that loved him. Maybe by all he meant share with the co-workers that he really does get along with. Maybe by all he meant the people that, is, that are from the place that he is from. Is that what he means? Of course not. That's not what all means. All means all different kinds of people. The people that he likes, the people that he doesn't like, people who are like him, the people who are unlike him, the people who are in favor of him, the people who want to beat him and imprison him. Paul was called to share the good news with everybody, no matter how he felt about them. We are called to share the gospel with the neighbors on one side that they respect our lawn and the neighbors on the other side who definitely don't respect our lawn. Right? We are called to share the gospel with all people. Do you feel like you are called to share the gospel with all people? Maybe you feel like you, you should only share the gospel with people you know. Maybe you feel like you should only share the gospel with people that you don't know, because what's the risk? He says, everyone, Republicans, Democrats, old people, young people, Americans, this is kind of a stretch, even Canadians, we are called to share the gospel with all people even when we don't feel like sharing it with them. And if you have humility because you see yourself in Christ, then you will lay down your preferences of who you would like to share it with and you will be on mission to share it with everybody because God's plan is better than yours. Number three, we see that ministry is sacrifice. Look at verse 11. This is according to his eternal purpose, accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. So then, I ask you not to be discouraged over my afflictions on your behalf, for they are your glory. What are some afflictions that people face today in doing the ministry of God? What are some afflictions that people face today and doing the work of God. Rejection, Rejection. yeah. Yeah, all sorts of fear. Yeah. Mm. Some places it's death. Yeah, yeah, in some places you share the gospel, you, you'll be beheaded, yeah. imprisoned. Ridicule, mm-hmm. What about rudeness, relational strife, impatience from others, awkwardness, we can be honest. 
Now, I don't have to tell you that ministry is a sacrifice, right? You already know that it is. But I want us to see what Paul is saying, verse 11. This is according to his eternal purpose, accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, here he is talking about the reconciliation that has happened between Jews and Gentiles, but that's not all that he's talking about. That's not the only thing that is according to God's eternal purpose. He is also talking about his ministry. And if he is talking about his ministry, he is talking about our ministry. Your ministry, your personal ministry, sharing the gospel with others, caring for others, bringing others up in Christ is according to God's eternal plan. See, Jesus has accomplished salvation once and for all. Now you are called as part of God's plan to share that with everyone so that people may be brought into the family of God. You know this though, that when you share the gospel with other people, when people hear the gospel, when they hear who they are, when they hear who God is, and then what their life is like in rebellion against God, what is their reaction a lot of the times? I don't care. You know, you have your truth, I have my truth. You say whatever you want about God, I disagree. And what we understand from scripture is that is a rebellious heart. And it's because the gospel is offensive. When we tell the truth to people about Jesus accomplishing salvation for wretched sinners, people are not dumb. They understand that you just called them a wretched sinner. That doesn't usually fly very well, does it? Does anybody here really just love being called names? No, it's offensive. It hurts. So it is a sacrifice for us to share the gospel with other people because we are putting ourselves out there. We are willing to be rejected for the glory of God. We are putting our reputation on the line. When we share the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done, that is sacrifice. Look at verse 12. In him, we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Paul, in some of his last words, he encourages these Ephesians. And he goes on says that we have bold access, that we shouldn't fear anything because we can approach God. We can actually have a relationship with the one who created us. And then he goes on to say, so then I ask you not to be discouraged over my afflictions on your behalf for they are your glory. If you can access God, if you have a direct line to commune with God, to have a relationship with God, you shouldn't fear anything. Now with Paul, he is sitting in a Roman prison writing this. And it wasn't like prisons today. Like they didn't have all their meals provided. He relied on other people outside to take care of his basic needs. He is writing this to people who feel a little guilty about him being prison. Like maybe it's their fault that he's there, but he takes these, takes this time to encourage them in the gospel. So he is feeling the effects of the sacrifice that he has made in his life as he sits there. When we participate in the work of God, 
there is always some form of sacrifice. We will always feel the effects. Now, we probably won't end up in a prison like this, but we will feel it in other ways. Maybe that is we sacrifice the way our relationships are because we know when we share the gospel, people are going to be offended or they're not going to want to talk to us. Maybe it is sacrificing our image that we have worked so hard to create. Whenever we minister, we are sacrificing. But look what Paul says, the last words of this section, for they are your glory, for they are your glory. When we sacrifice to do ministry, we sacrifice to serve others. We sacrifice by sharing the gospel. We are doing it, listen to this, for the glory of other people. Now that doesn't mean that we're raising other people up above God. That's not the type of glory he's talking about. What he's saying is that when we share the gospel, we are inviting people to be in relationship with the most glorious being ever to exist. And that then bestows some sort of glory on people right? You have glory in some way that you didn't have before you knew Jesus. But not only that, we are calling people to believe in this forever so that when they are with God, when they are in his presence, they will be fully glorified. They will no longer have sin. They will no longer have struggles. They will no longer have a body that can break down, but they will inherit the glory of God. That's what Paul is saying here. So, is that worth it? Is it worth it for you to sacrifice for that? If you were to sacrifice everything you had to see someone come to know Jesus, would that be worth it? At work, if you were to put your reputation online and your name was dragged through the mud because you ministered to someone, but one of your colleagues came to know Jesus. Would that be worth it? It is to Jesus who set his glory aside, who came, the, the being who needs nothing at all, who came and inhabited a human body, who put his reputation on the line, who put his physical, physical security on the line. He was betrayed by his friends. He was beaten, ridiculed, mocked, and he was killed. Jesus did that so that people may be brought into a relationship with God. He sacrificed himself so that people would know their creator. And he believed that was worth it. Your salvation is evidence of that. So if he did that for you, if he sacrificed himself for you, should you not sacrifice yourself for others, that they may know God, that they may experience what you have experienced in Jesus? Let us be those kind of people. Let us be people who minister to others despite the fact that it is hard, despite the fact that we don't want to sometimes, despite the fact that it is a sacrifice. Let us be people who minister for the glory of God. One of our core values as a church is missional empowerment. This is what that means. You are a missionary. 
that God has placed you in a specific place, in a specific job, with specific influence, with specific friendships, so that you would take the gospel into those places. And we as a church don't just exist to have you invite people here. We exist to enable you to live on mission because you can reach far more people than I can ever reach. So we as a church want to be people who empower others to live on mission, to share the gospel. But not only that, we want to be people who are about the mission of God all over the world. We want to be people who are, big, who are, are more than just for Anchor Church. We are for other churches. We are for other people who have not been reached yet. That's why we are going to support other churches that are around the world. That's why we are going to take mission trips to places to encourage people who are suffering in places that we can't go to. That's why we are going to use our, our money, our time, our energy to resource missionaries who go to places that are far too dangerous dangerous for us to step into. We are here to empower others to live for the mission of God. That means you are supposed to live on the mission of God. You are supposed to be chasing that. Every morning that you wake up, you should be thinking about how you can affect this world for the kingdom of God. Because you have a ministry and your ministry matters. Your ministry affects others. So let us be people who live on mission for the glory of God. So that's what I've got for tonight as we have looked at Ephesians 3, 1 through 13. There's a lot more that we could have talked about there, but I wanted to give us some time at the end to talk about a few things. I know that you may have questions about what you read in here. If you do, come talk to me afterwards. But um, for the next few minutes, I want you to find someone that you're not really familiar with and ask them about their earliest memory. Ask them about their earliest memory. And so maybe if you're young, you, know, you might have had a memory from when you were three. If you're a little older, maybe you erased all of those and it's from your 20s. <laughs> but find someone and ask them about their earliest ministry. And then we'll come back together and have a few announcements. We talked about last week our mission as a church, which of course is just a rewording of the Great Commission because the Great Commission is the mission for all churches throughout all time. And our mission is to see lives transformed by the gospel. We want to share the gospel with others, see their lives transformed by it, and then we want to grow in our understanding of the gospel so our lives would be transformed by it. Our vision for the church, this is what we hope to see. It's what we're longing for. And that is redemption and restoration in our homes, churches, and communities. Redemption and restoration in our homes, churches, and communities. So redemption is about something being set free in Jesus Christ. I'm sure that if you look at your life, you can see things before you met Jesus that were not right. This word redemption actually comes from uh, the Old Testament. When there was a slave that, that voluntarily became, well, not voluntarily, but became a slave in order to pay off a debt. They would work for years and years and years. But if somebody came along and said, how much does that person owe? Okay, well, here it is. And they pay that debt. That slave, that servant has been redeemed. They have been set free. So if you think about your life, think about things that you struggled with, things that were present in your life before you knew Jesus, 
you can see that there was redemption there. For instance, you may have lived your life simply to make more money. You may have gone to work simply to get more power. You may have gone out and played sports simply to become more popular, more famous. When we meet Jesus, that begins to change, doesn't it? Now we don't live our lives for ourselves, even though we still have ambition. That ambition is redeemed, and now we live so that God may be more famous. We don't live for money. We go to work to glorify God. You see, that is redemption. Then restoration is about things being set back to the way that they should be. In Hebrew, there was this idea of shalom. You've probably heard this before. But shalom is the world at perfect peace. Everything is God made it to be. But I'm sure that you've realized this. The world is not like that, right? There are things that are messed up in this world. There's war in this world. There's sickness in this world. When we share the gospel, we can see restoration happen. Relationships that have been broken can be mended. Marriages that have fallen apart can be put back together in Jesus. We can see people who have been alienated because they are in different social classes be brought together in Jesus Christ. That is restoration. It is setting things back as they should be. Redemption and restoration in our homes. That is our closest relationships. We want to see the effects of the gospel there. But not just our homes. We want to see it in churches. Not just our church, but other churches as well. We want to see redemption and restoration in the people of God. And not just that, we want to see redemption and restoration in our communities. Because when people meet Jesus, when they are transformed by the gospel, they become better citizens. When they're better citizens, they make better communities. We can see the kingdom of God slowly invade this world as we see lives transformed by the gospel. So that is our vision. It is redemption and restoration in our homes, our churches, and our communities. Now, you may be thinking, Sean, that is really uh, idyllic, but let's be honest, we're not going to see that. You know, that the conservatives and progressives, they just hear the gospel. They're not just, not just going to come together. Yeah, that's true, right? But a vision is something that we chase even though we may not see it fully come to fruition. It is something that we long for. It is something that is so grand that we will never get there on our own power. And we will seek to see redemption and restoration. We will use all of our resources to chase that. And one day we will arrive where there is complete redemption, complete restoration, when we are with Jesus forever. And there is no sin, and there is no sickness, and there is no sorrow, and there is no strife. So that is our vision for the church. I know that um, some of us, this, this is kind of moving on to our announcements. I know that some of us have been um, kind of wondering about our timeline. You know, we're, a lot of us are kind of in this awkward transition where we're members of another church and we're like, well, are we members here? What's the deal? So here's, here's kind of what we're looking at. Right now, um, we're in the book of Ephesians. We're going to finish that around Easter. So right after Easter, the, the week maybe or two weeks after that, we're going to have four or five weeks of what's kind of considered membership class. It is talking about the church, 
You know, diving into our mission, our vision, our core values, our strategy, how we are structured as a church, uh, pastors, deacons, board, all that kind of stuff. But also uh, our beliefs. Um, We are going to talk about how we can be involved in our community. We're going to talk about what it means to be a member of a church. You know, is that biblical? If it's not biblical, we don't want to do it. Where do we see that in the Bible? Is that required? What, what is required of me if I'm a member of a church? What, what is it required of me if I'm a member of this church? So we're going to talk about all of that. It's going to take four to five weeks. And at the end of that, so let's say on the fifth week, we will have a time where we will covenant together. That is, we will agree to uh, be on mission together in this local body, in this community. I know that some of you are kind of wondering, like, well, what does that look like if I'm only here for a year, for instance? If I'm only part of kind of the team to get it going, should I join? We'll we'll get there. We'll talk about that when when we're there. But that's kind of the outlook. So that would be, I think, uh, April, uh, May, around the beginning of May is when we'll do that. And we'll walk through um, how to, to become a member and how we talk, how we deal with the churches that we're coming from. Because... We want to be people who are not leaving on bad terms. We want to be people who are working together with other churches. So that is what's coming along. And then, of course, um, we've talked about this before. We will begin our worship services for this group, for our core group, beginning in hopefully late May, early June. As you know, whenever you start something, there are going to be issues. There are going to be problems that need to be worked out. So for uh, four weeks, probably, we will have just us on a Sunday morning, think of a typical worship service with kids ministry. And then we will open that up to our friends and our family members and say, hey, come be part of this. And we will continue to refine what we're doing. And then uh, August, right after school starts, we will have our public launch where we invite everybody, where we publicize it, where we're trying to reach all people in our community. So it's going to be a public worship service. So that's the timeline that we're looking at. Um, the, uh, are, there, are there any questions about that real quick? No? Okay, if you have questions, uh, you can come to me afterwards. But continue to pray for our building search team. If you are on that team, will you raise your hand? If you are on the building search team, raise your hand. Okay, those four right here. Um, they are working incredibly hard to, to find a place for us to meet. Right now, we're meeting here. This is not permanent. Uh, we can't have Sunday, worship, Sunday morning worship services here. It's just not possible. So they are, they are uh, chasing every lead, trying to figure out what we can do. So thank you to, to you guys. I know that y'all are working very, very hard. And uh, we, we are praying for them. Um, it, it's kind of disheartening sometimes when you feel like you have something and then that door shuts. And you're like, well... Time didn't stop even though the door shut. We got to figure something out. But we also believe that God is in control of all things, that he is not caught off guard, that he's not going, oh man, I just wish there was a building. That God has planned this out and that he will provide as he sees fit. So continue to pray for them. Um, I don't think I have any other announcements. Anything anybody else needs to say? No? Oh, Oh, one more thing actually. We will not meet on Easter here. We will not meet. I encourage you to go to, I'm going to church on Bayshore. That is where my membership is. I love that church. I encourage you to go there on Easter and worship there. Uh, James is a great preacher and he's going to 
preach the gospel. He's going to talk about the resurrection of Jesus. So I encourage you to go to church on Bayshore or find a local church to go to, but we will not meet on Easter on Sunday night. Um, again, if you, if you want to support the church financially, you can go to anchorfreeport.com slash give, anchorfreeport.com slash give. Anything else? All right. Well, then, Ms. Nita, will you pray for us?